Hello, everybody. Welcome to No Filler with Joe Miller on KCOU Sports FM 88.1. I'm your host, Joe Miller. Today is November 12th, 2020. The draft is less than a week away. Got a special show. We're going to do a big draft special. We'll talk about some of the Houston Rockets drama and maybe talk about the DeMar DeRozan trade situation later if we have time. But first, folks, we have to welcome onto our program a very special guest. He's an investigative reporter at The Man Eater. He hosts the Prep to Pro podcast alongside Max Carlin. It is a pleasure to welcome Ben Pfeiffer to the show. <laughs> We're having a little bit of an audio problem right now, so bear with us, folks. That call is failing for some reason, so <laughs> off to a great start there, so... While we're sorting that out, okay, I think Ben is back on the line. This should work. Hey, Ben, can you hear us? Yep. Awesome. Okay, so I just introduced you and everything, host of Prep to Pro podcast NBA Draft alongside Max Carlin. Thanks for coming on. Are you ready for the draft? Yeah, I mean, it's been a long nine, nearly 17-month draft cycle um, going back to, you know, last summer when we first started working into these projects seriously. I'm ready for it, and I'm ready for it to be over, honestly. But, yeah, I am. That's an interesting uh, aspect you bring out because with this draft, obviously, like, a guy like James Wiseman hasn't played in forever, but even guys who played, like, full college seasons, they haven't played in, like, six months at this point, right? Yep. I mean, the last, like, real like, real relevant show we have is um, and, and like that's not even everyone. So yeah, I mean like six, seven, seven months have been since we had real like basketball. So yeah, it's, it's been it's been a lot of, of nothing for many months. But it, it is what it is. <laughs> so I wanted to have a draft expert on the program because needed to get some educated opinions on this show before Wednesday. So I follow the NBA a lot, but college basketball or international stuff not so much. So I wanted to. Just tell my listeners right now that Ben Pfeiffer, much smarter than me on these matters, so please listen to him, not me, <laughs> when we're offering our opinions here. So let's start off, and I want to ask you about the Minnesota situation. I was listening to, I believe, episode 50 of your podcast when you were talking about this, and Minnesota's in a bit of a weird spot. So Cat has four years left on his deal. D'Angelo Russell has about three years left on his contract, and Timberwolves, they have the number one pick, but there's not really a for sure guy, at least from your estimations and a lot of other NBA draft scouts, that will just kind of come in and have the role and fit in super well with Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell. So my first question is, what do you think the Timberwolves should do in this situation they're in? Yeah, it's tough because, like you said, I think like Lamelo Ball and Anthony Edwards, who I think are like the, the two best like realistic prospects they could take, um, don't really help them in the short term. I think very much just because you know both of them are bad defenders, and I think Lamelo especially clashes with D'Angelo offensively early on. Um, but then, like, like do, do they reach for like someone like um, Danny Avdia, who would be a reach for being number one, but you know fit their team better? Um, I think what I would do, assuming like realistic options is probably to take LaMelo and figure it out. I think he's the best prospect in the class. I'm not really a big D'Angelo Russell guy. I'm not a huge believer in his long-term ceiling as a creator or like a, or, you know, as a real centerpiece. So I think long-term, like I'm pretty enthused by a LaMelo cat court. I mean, you can get defensive pieces around them because like that's a rough defensive duo, but 
certainly has potential. I mean, that's what I think I would do. Assuming I can't trade the pick. My number one option would definitely be to trade the pick, trade down, trade out. But that seems kind of unlikely at this point. Yeah, it's interesting, though, like, when we're talking about Minnesota, like, especially in the context of being in the Western Conference where there's basically around six teams that I would, just barring injuries, say, are locks to make the playoffs. What do you think Minnesota's future is at this point? Because it's hard for me to imagine this team has things working out, even if they draft well in this class, just because of how stacked that conference yeah. is. It's really tough. I mean, even if like everything goes perfectly, it's hard for me to see them being more than like a fringe playoff contender in the West. Like they need some real help with this roster. Like I think Cat is good enough or on the fringes of being good enough to be that guy who can really run a championship offense. Like, he is really, really good. But you just need more pieces. And like I said, I don't think D'Angelo is that accurate of a piece on a great team. So just in regards to this draft in general, there's been a lot of coverage that there's not a clear number one pick or there's not really a for sure thing like a Zion Williamson in this draft. Do you think that those characterizations broadly are accurate? And if not, how would you characterize just this draft from like top to bottom or those top range, like the mid rounds? Like how would you rate sort of like the talent in this draft? Yeah, I think it's a fair assessment. I mean, the draft is labeled a weak draft at nausea. And it's true. Just because it, it lacks like a high-end creator star talent, which is what you need that you know makes the draft good. Like even last year's draft was weak by some by standards, but it has Zion Williamson as like a franchise-changing talent. This draft doesn't have that. Even I think the draft is unspectacular compared to other drafts. Where it does succeed, I think there's like a lot of good complementary pieces. So like for teams that have the you know their franchise you know their franchise player like a Zion or a Luca or LeBron or any of those players. But I think there are real like there are quite a few and quite a few different types of complementary pieces from guards to forwards to big. So I think that's kind of where the draft um, definitely this draft is strong compared to others. So with a lot of these, I want to move just kind of into specific prospects. So we've talked a little bit about LaMelo Ball, at least from most experts I've seen. I know you're lower on (laughs) James Wiseman than other people, but I've seen like most league offices consider LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, and James Wiseman to sort of be the de facto top three prospects in this draft. But I feel like the more I read about them, like, I can't really, I sort of like talk myself into each of these guys, but the more I see, like I was reading the John Hollinger piece the other day where he was saying like Anthony Edwards plays kind of like Andrew Wiggins. And now that I watch Anthony Edwards tape, I kind of like, I can't unsee that now. (laughs) So what, like, what cases would you make for those three guys if you would make a case for them? I I mean, Lamelo is the easiest one to me. Just like generational playmaker and, and, you know, a generational playmaker and ball handler, you know, while being very young and six foot seven, like that's, that's a floor for a guy who can run a good offense. And I think the the scoring is is concerning. Like the main thing is his frame, you know, makes it, makes driving and finishing really tough. Uh, the shot is a little concerning to me, but I'm not too worried about the shot. Despite the percentage of 
Um, I mean, I think it's, it's an easy case of Lamelo with you know, the, the highest ceiling of a guy who can really run your offense. Like, I don't think you want Lamelo being the best player on a championship team, but I think he can certainly be that one B to a similar level or, or better, you know, offensive creator. Um, for Ant, the case is that you know, his self creation and scoring package is kind of unbelievable. He is ridiculously explosive and strong. Theoretically, can be a guy who gets to the rim and, and finishes at will. And then some of the, the shot-making he displays is kind of unreal and the space creation for jumpers. But just the thing with Edwards is the, this, the, this, the, the decision-making and the wiring with him. Like, can you get him to commit to going to the rim? I mean, he has other, you know, like, different flaws. Like, his handle is kind of weak, but he's socially able to get to the rim given his, you know, pure first step and strength and explosion. Can you get him to drive more? Can you get him to lock in on defense? And how much of his defense... Can you improve? Because you know, at the moment, it's objectively pretty terrible. Like with his bad gambles and low effort. Like how much of that can you improve? Um, to what level can you improve? The the case would be like you know you can fix the wire again. I think he's never going to be a great defender, but get him to be passive on defense and get him to be someone who is driving all the time, generating easy looks at the rim. And then it's a really valuable like maybe again like not someone who you want facilitating your offense, but someone who you can run your scoring through at his ceiling. Um, case for Wiseman is a little tougher. I don't, I don't, I don't view Wiseman as a top three prospect. He's more of a like like a mid-teens type prospect to me, um, and that's mostly just because I don't really see the upside with him. I, I think he often gets like pounded high upside prospect because he's very big and athletic and toolsy. But I think those are like like not really strong descriptors of upside because it's about like, finding those tools and Wiseman. You know, he, he's great at things that you know. Help, help a team win games in the regular season. Like he's, he's going to be a great role man and on duck-ins and offensive rebounds. And defensively, he's going to protect the rim just by his sheer size and probably going to be able to play a little drop coverage and pick and roll. But like he, he doesn't have any plus offensive skill or, or feel for the game in terms of playmaking or decision-making or shooting or handling. And defensively, you know, he, he can't really cover um, you know, cover really well on the perimeter, on switches or on hedges, which is what you need like deeper into the playoffs. So, I think Wiseman, if, like, if you're taking him really high, the cases, you know, you believe you can unlock some sort of upside that we haven't really seen from him. Because, I mean, even in his short time at Memphis, obviously there wasn't much, but, it, you know, it didn't show any, like, incredible skill or intelligence. And then in high school, routinely, I mean, he was routinely, you know, kind of dominated by better centers in AAU and in high school. And still, I think never really showed any of that functional NBA skill. I mean, I do think Wiseman's a good prospect. I think he's going to be a good player um, probably like a solid regular season big, but just not someone to me worth a top three pick. So getting to just like who's going to fall after, because I think it's pretty much consensus at this point, the Timberwolves are probably going to draft LaMelo Ball. If LaMelo Ball is taken first, what do you think the Warriors do with that second spot? Because obviously I think they should maybe try to trade the pick, but if they keep the pick, who do you think would be a good fit for that roster? I would take Anthony Edwards um, because I think he kind of gives you the best combination of short and long-term value. Like, I think, though, a guy like Danny Avia or Kongu might be, like, a more immediate contributor, but I don't think either of them present the long-term upside that you want with number two pick. Edwards, less of an immediate contributor, uh, uh, contributor obviously, they're drafting him for the long-term upside, but I think, as with any team to weaponize Edwards early, I think it's Golden State. It, I, I like the off-ball game a lot already. He was a great player in Georgia. And I think, you know, with his explosion and the Golden State motion offense can get him to be an effective cutter and off-ball mover. Um, and then defensively, you know, with a lesson ball, he's not going to be running every single play on offense. 
he can you know watch hopefully he can watch you know defense and really be solid at you know as a man defender with his great great tools and lateral quickness and strength and explosion. So I think that's kind of where I go with Golden State. Obviously, I think I would trade down if he can, but it's going to be harder for him to trade down. I think, but Edwards is where I go. That was a question I was going to get to later, but I guess we can talk about it now. But in this draft, it seems like there's more sellers than buyers. Would you agree with that assessment, just in terms of people who want to just trade their pick away and trade down? It seems like a lot of teams want to do that. Like, I've seen Atlanta wants yeah. to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you, can, you can go ahead with that. Yeah, I think teams are wanting to trade up. I think there's certain instances where trade-ups be beneficial for, like, good teams, you know, Hope you land someone really talented as wide, like Sean Hayes or Nyeka Kongu. But generally, I think, and I'm generally the opponent of trading down in any draft. This draft, which just lacks top end talent, I think, especially um, a trade down if you can get really good value for your pick is what you know is what teams think they can do because they don't like their talent. And the other issue is like you know if everybody wants to trade down, then you need a partner to trade up. What do you think about a team like Boston, who at this point has three first round picks? They have almost, I don't want to say all of their roster spots filled up, but they've got a full deck in Boston over there. So what do you think a team like that's going to do where they have all of these picks and seemingly they don't have enough roster spots? Do you think they're going to try to wave semi Ojale? Like, what do you see a team like that doing? Yeah, I think they're definitely a prime candidate that could be useful to trade up. I think they're a player who probably like a little bit out of the range of someone like Killian Hayes or Nyeka Kongu. But those are two prospects that I think would be incredibly useful for them. You know, Hayes has like another elite team defender and uh, an ideal long-term complement to Jason Tatum. And then Nyeka Kongu is like that really like pick-and-roll coverage, versatile big man, like, like super valuable in the playoffs. He's like a great finisher and role man. Who, they I mean, the, the Celtics have been successful with their, you know, platoon being a big man, but getting a long-term, a long-term answer is never... So after LaMelo Ball and Anthony Edwards with one and two, how do you foresee the rest of the draft going? Like, what do you think are going to be the names right after that? Do you think it's going to be Denny Avdia, Killian Hayes, we've mentioned, Isaac Okoro? What do you think's the order yeah, going like, to be and kind of the prospects like, right after those top two? It seems like Benny is definitely going to be up there. I mean, teams love him. Um, I'm less confused because I worry about his you know, self-creation as a handler and a shooter. But he's certainly a pretty solid prospect. I think another name you're going to see high is Obi, is Obi Toppin, who is another prospect I don't, I'm not a huge fan of. Just because, um, first, I mean, I'll say that he is an, an incredibly good offensive big man, like elite passing and finishing and good enough shooting. But I, like, I really worry about the defense with him. Um, like the movement skills and lack of you know quick leaping ability and all of that. High center of gravity means that I really worry about him defensively. And coupled with the fact he's already 22 years old as a sophomore, um, I'm concerned about you know him being good enough offensively to compensate for his lack of you know defensive value. Those are like the two next guys. Um, I think I think Tyrese Halliburton. Probably also going to go pretty high at Iowa State. Another guy who I'm not a big fan of because again I don't think he's a creator at all. I think he, you know, he struggles with his ball handling and his step and his finishing. I think, and then yeah, I'm just not 
but definitely could have been a really good like role player with his shooting and his playmaking and like passing off to close out. So, so those are some of the names I think that are probably going to be you know the next ones. In terms of, uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about Killian Hayes because I follow a lot of uh, Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer, and he has him as his number one prospect in this draft. And I've seen a little bit of tape of him. He doesn't have a lot of game with his right hand. Do you see that as a concern moving forward, or do you think that'll be something that he can develop as he progresses with any team that drafts him? There's certainly a little bit of a concern. I mean, I think, yeah, he's certainly very right-hand dominant um, as a playmaker, as a driver. But I think that's, like, not super damning. Like, you'll see, like, like someone like James Harden is still pretty left-hand dominant as, as a playmaker, especially. And he's still, obviously, you know, one of the best players in the world. It's not, not a comparison of those two prospects, but just that aspect of their game. I just think Killian is so good everywhere else. Like, the, the playmaking, despite that, is lethal, like, with an anticipation and timing and ability to make all the pick-and-roll reads. The, you know, the scoring has improved so much where he's improved as, like, an on-ball, an on-ball creator, as, as an off-dribble shooter, and then I think he's elite defensively as well. Uh, so, I mean, he's just too good, I think. That's, like, definitely a concern, but definitely not, like, far from a deal-breaker and not something I'm really worried about long-term. I mean, I guess we're like, absolute ceiling, but, yeah, I'm mean, not too worried about that. So, in this draft, I mean, obviously the NBA trade moratorium has not been lifted yet. Do you think we're going to start seeing trades just immediately, or do you think the picks are going to come in and then we'll see the trades sort of after the fact? Like, how do you think draft night's going to go just with all of the actions of these teams finally being able to make moves? I'm sure we'll see some deals on draft night. I mean, there always are. We'll always be trade-ups and trade-downs, and we'll trade in the second round. I mean, like, there's been plenty of rumors about big trades. Um, I think it's possible it happened before the draft. I mean, I'm honestly not really sure, but certainly going to shake up things one way or another. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back. You're listening to No Filler with Joe Miller on KCOU Sports 88.1 FM. Hello, everybody. We are back. Welcome back to No Filler. It is your host, Joe Miller, still joined here today by Ben Pfeiffer. So the NBA trade moratorium will not be lifted until the 16th as of right now, but there's growing speculation from several teams we've learned about this week. So according to reports via Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer, the Lakers are interested in trading for San Antonio Spurs shooting guard DeMar DeRozan. In this deal, the Lakers would likely shell out Kyle Kuzma and Danny Green for DeRozan. So as of now, for this trade to go through... DeMar DeRozan has to opt in to his $27.7 million player option for this season. And if the Lakers were to acquire him, he would be a one-year rental. Similarly, Kyle Kuzma and Danny Green both each have one year left on their deals. So the Spurs would get those two guys and Lakers would get DeMar DeRozan. Ben, what are your thoughts on that trade just broadly? I mean, it's kind of a trade with like no real assets to have any long-term value to me. Like, I, I get it. I think first, I like, don't think DeRozan definitely makes sense, I think. It doesn't really fit their timeline, and I don't think it helps them very much at this point. You know, like, I don't particularly think Cruz was a worthwhile asset. Green is like, a, a good player, but, you know, getting up there and not someone like that, again, with a ton of young players. DeRozan to the Lakers, I mean, I, I, I understand the need to, like, want another perimeter creator. I mean, they don't really have one outside of LeBron. I mean, you don't really need one. You know, they, they show it this year, but again, you know, the really good team having extra primitive creation is always helpful. But again, I just like don't think at this point, Clear DeRozan is someone you're really clamoring to trade for. Um, I mean, 
I suppose I can maybe, I mean, this is a weak free agent class, and I they really think they need to create a, I guess I get it, but I probably would just take Cordell Flowers up. Yeah, I think some of this also comes out just from uh, Brian Windhorst reported this earlier this week that Kyle Kuzma wants a sizable contract extension, not this offseason, but the following offseason. So I think if you're the Lakers and you want to win titles, you probably don't want to be paying Kyle Kuzma a lot of money, especially if 80 plus million of your cap is already going to LeBron and Anthony Davis, like paying Kyle Kuzma a lot of money would really cap them down the road, I think. Yeah, I, I definitely am all for getting off of Kyle Kuzma. Like, I think mean, that's really good. Um, I mean, I certainly wouldn't. I, 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 I mean, obviously, if you can get them from I'd be fine just letting him walk, personally. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean he like, has some value as, like, a, like a defender um, and, like, a little bit of shot-making. But, again, like, it's not going to be worth the contract he's going to try to get. Like, yeah, and... I think, like you're saying, he does provide that skill of a perimeter creator, so I do see that as a plus, but I think his game on the court will take away from LeBron James and Anthony Davis's skill set, where Anthony Davis, we saw this postseason, operated a lot in the block and in the paint, and if you have DeMar DeRozan behind that three-point line, he's not going to be... (laughs) Defenders are going to sag off of him a little bit. And similarly, like with LeBron, I think if you have a defender sagging off of DeMar DeRozan, then it makes it harder for him to drive in, especially as, like we've seen LeBron's first step has gotten a little bit slower as he's approaching year 70 (laughs) in the NBA, it feels like. So I guess we'll see if the Lakers pull the trigger here, but I don't know. Like, I understand them moving off of Kyle Kuzma, but... Like stagger him with LeBron and get more creation while he's in the bench. I don't know if he's going to like be willing to take that. Um, like slide into a six mil is one. I mean, if he is, I think it's not a bad spot. Still, I I love he's going to be willing to slide into that six mil. Yeah, it's also interesting because I know like Danny Green and Kyle Kuzma are not locks to re-sign after this, but I don't see Demar Derozan staying with the Lakers. I think he would probably take a sizable contract somewhere else. So. I don't know why they would try to, like, screw with the chemistry just for what seems like, I think, pretty obviously a one-year rental here. I don't think DeRozan would stay there. Yeah, I don't think paying would be the smartest either. Yeah, similarly with, like, the Kuzma thing, it's like you're throwing a lot of money at DeMar DeRozan, and that makes it harder to sign other guys where you're already, like, I'll talk about later in the show, like, with the Houston Rockets, where they basically can't sign anyone or bring anyone new in because they're already spending 130 on cap and five or six guys. So Lakers don't want to be in that position. And if you moved in DeMar DeRozan in that team and you take away Danny Green, like people crapped on Danny Green because of some of his missed shots in the postseason. But as a whole, his percentages, even this past postseason, which were not great, they were below like his season averages, much better than DeMar DeRozan. I think DeMar DeRozan shot 25.7% from three, and that's worse than any season <laughs> Danny Green has ever had from three. So, And DeRozan just doesn't shoot great. He doesn't take that. Yeah, he, I think he averages, like, I don't have the stats right in front of me, but it's something like half a three a, a game he attempts. He just doesn't take yeah. the most of the time. Well, Ben, thank you for coming on. I know you have to jump, but 
Appreciate you coming on to give us your draft insight. As always, you can follow Ben Pfeiffer on Twitter. You can anything else you want to plug, Ben, while you're on the show? Yeah, I'm just you know host podcast Prep to Pro Pod. Um, We'll have plenty of episodes. So yeah, just make sure to like go subscribe and listen to our pod if you like what I just say here. Ben, thanks for coming on. Appreciate you. Absolutely. Well, folks, we're going to take a quick break. When we are back, we will talk a little bit about the Houston Rockets. Everyone stay safe. You're listening to KCU Sports FM 88.1.
Indoor baseball, anyone? Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Fire threatens everything in its path. When it threatens our nation and our communities, we respond. We bring the fight to the front line. The Army National Guard stands ready to face the dangers of Mother Nature and protect our homes and our neighbors. We will always be there when your community needs us the most. Discover more about all the ways you can serve part-time in your community by visiting NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Missouri Army National Guard. Aired by the Missouri Broadcasters Association at this station. Welcome back, folks. You're listening to KCOU Sports FM 88.1. You're listening to No Filler with Joe Miller. So with that being said, the Houston Rockets have had a ton of news drop over the past 72, 96 hours. So first, Sham Sharania kind of dropped the first domino by reporting that Russell Westbrook wants out of Houston. You... Later that night, he also tweeted that James Harden remains committed to the franchise. However, there's still more drama remaining. P.J. Tucker is supposedly irate about his contract situation, seeing other 3-and-D-type wings make much more money and become rich, where his contract only has him making 8 or $9 million a year. But supposedly, this is, again, th- these are reports, so these are not 100% verified, but... Tim McMahon and other people at Bleacher Report reported that other Rockets players are also upset about the culture of the team and the lack of accountability for star players, referring to Russell Westbrook and James Harden. So there's a lot to get through here. Um, (laughs) The final domino, of course, being Russell Westbrook and James Harden are both still uneasy and upset about the Rockets' current situation. So first thing I want to say is... That is definitely understandable from James Harden and Russell Westbrook to be a little uncertain about this situation because Daryl Morey's gone. Mike D'Antoni just left. They have a new head coach, and their cap situation is, like I hinted at earlier in the show, not great. So obviously Russell Westbrook and James Harden take up $80 million of the cap. Eric Gordon is going to be making 18 next year. Robert Covington is going to be making 13. PJ Tucker makes eight. Just those pieces alone put them over the luxury tax. So that is their five best players. They have a good starting lineup. I think if everything sticks together, they're still going to be in the playoffs. But it just goes to show that they're not going to be able to sign really anyone to drastically improve this roster they'll be able to fill it out of course but 130 million dollars they're spending next year and most of it is on five or six guys so without free agency the rockets are going to have to figure something out if they want to get back in that title contention window i don't see that happening this upcoming season i think they're closer to being a fringe playoff team than they are a title team when you have James Harden, I find it almost impossible to miss the playoffs, especially in the Western Conference, where no disrespect to teams like Sacramento or Memphis, but they are led by younger cores. And James Harden is 31. He's been to the playoffs, I believe, every single season in his career. 
He's not missed it a single year with Houston, and most years they usually win around 50 games. So I'm still confident this is a playoff team, but I don't think people remember in 2018 they were one game away from going to the finals. Chris Paul got injured, so they lost the remaining two games of that series. Also notably in that game seven, the Rockets missed 27 threes in a row. And I believe they lost that game by 12. So if they made a few of those, that would have made all the difference. And presumably if Chris Paul was still playing, that could have also tipped the deck in their favor. But unfortunately, I think it's it's not looking good for this team. I think they should probably run it back this season if they can. But if Russell Westbrook is unhappy, I don't know what they can really do to salvage this operation because... Russell Westbrook, like I mentioned, makes $41 million this upcoming season, so trading him is going to be difficult. Adrian Wojnarowski tweeted a little less than an hour ago that the trade market for Westbrook is, quote, slowly developing. And no offense to Russell Westbrook, but I don't think he's the most desirable contract out there. He's making 41 this year, 43.8 next year, and a whopping $46.6 million the year after that. It is a player option, so he could potentially opt out, but I'm going to bet right now, <laughs> not everything I have, but pretty close, that <laughs> Russell Westbrook will, in fact, opt into that $47 million <laughs> year when he's 35 years old. So Houston Rockets, at this point, James Harden is still committed to the franchise, so... That is a good thing for this team. They need some type of consistency, but I think we're going to see, is Steven Silas the answer to this team? Is he going to revolutionize the offense like he did in Dallas this year? How's he going to work with a team that doesn't really have a center on the team because they were experimenting with their tiny ball or micro ball, depending on who you ask, experiment. So we'll see what Houston does moving forward, but... They traded away a lot of picks to get Russell Westbrook, and most of them are top four protected. So Oklahoma City has the option, I believe, in 2022 and 2023 to swap the picks with Houston, and they also have the 2026 pick, I believe. But if it's within the top four, Houston's able to keep the pick. So there is a case to be made for them blowing it up, but I think if you have a generational talent like... James Harden, who is, I would say, undoubtedly one of the 10 best offensive players of all time. I, I, I don't know if you can really argue there's 10 guys better than James Harden, three or four times scoring champion. He won the MVP. He's been a part of so many historic offenses in terms of the analytics. He's an incredible talent. can't remember the last time he averaged under 30 points per game. So I think Houston should hold on to James Harden for the time being, see if they can finesse their way into some trade where they can get back into title contention. But as of right now, the Houston Rockets, I would place them below the Lakers, place them below the Clippers, the Warriors, probably the Nuggets. I would say they're pretty much in that five, six, seven, eight conversation. I'm going to need to see how the draft and free agency works out before I make my final predictions. But I don't think it's reasonable to assume this team could make it past 
the second round, it's possible they can make it past the first, but even if they played a team like Dallas, I think that would be difficult because even though Dallas's defense has not been good, their their offense is on par, if not better than the Rockets, and Houston's going to face a lot of teams that have more depth, which they lack. So we'll see what happens with Houston if they decide to trade Russell Westbrook. But as of right now, things do not look particularly good. They're guaranteed, I think, a playoff spot no matter what. Even if they trade away Russell Westbrook, probably still going to make the playoffs. But it's just unfortunate, I think, for Houston fans that they were so close to a title two years ago. And now it seems like that window's closed. It could be back. Who knows? It's the NBA. Player movement happens all the time. But I really doubt we're going to see a Houston team make a run at a finals anytime soon with James Harden unless some type of trade happens or some superstar wants out. Somehow sign and trade for Giannis happens, which is not going to happen with Houston. But who knows? I think that's basically all Houston can do if they want to be a title team. But there's still value in being a pretty good playoff team. So Houston's still going to watch some decent basketball, but just not that championship level that they've been accustomed to recently. Folks, that is all we have today in the program. Please follow Ben Pfeiffer on Twitter and listen to his podcast. He does a lot of great stuff for this upcoming draft. The draft will be on Wednesday, November 18th. So that's something to look forward to. Signings will begin free agency actually the day of my next show, November 20th. So going to have a lot to talk about next week. But until then, see you all. Thank you for tuning in to No Filler with Joe Miller. It is I, Joe Miller, signing off.